0: So Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and this is uh, fundamental, I believe, super fundamental to your Christian faith. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and, and, and how many of you know this? God wants to do things in your life, or I should say it this way, God wants things a certain way in your life. And, and it's not negative, it's positive. You know, in one sense, you know, some Positive preachers have gotten a bad rap, and maybe some have said some extreme things, but the fact of the matter is this, just because some have been spoken ill of does not mean that God doesn't want good, and that there isn't positive. There is. There's more positive in the New Testament than there is negative. And so if somebody's taken something off into an extreme or something like that, that doesn't mean that we should not follow after, amen? And that we shouldn't look at the Bible for what it really is. And so Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and we'll begin reading in the first verse. Actually, before we do, I want to make a statement. Uh, I put something on Facebook a little while ago that said something to this extent. Maybe as the church or as believers... We're spending more time than we ought to trying to get stuff from God instead of seeing that He has already done something about it. That's huge. That would carry over like this. I'm just praying and wanting God to do something. And I'm just waiting for Him to do something. There's an element of right and a real element of wrong in that. This helps us to think because sometimes we're looking into the future for God to do something and we're waiting for Him to do something and that can be wrong, but it can be right. You out there? And sometimes it would be good for us to maybe look at things that might tweak us. Amen? And, um, you know, if we have people who are lost, we don't say pray and and believe that God is going to save you and we're going to wait. We get people so convinced that God has already done something for them, that He already died and already rose again, And then we say, call on his name. And then we don't say, wait to see, you know, he'll save you some. No, we totally get them persuaded that it's theirs the minute they pray. And you know, God does it for them, meaning he makes it real, but it was already done. In other words, what we really get them doing is we preach to get their thinking different. What should preaching be? Should preaching just make me feel good? Well, it is good news. So there should be that, but should it maybe even challenge me to change the whole process of how I think? I've said this before regeneration or the new birth is immediate, transformation is a process. And what transformation is, is it's called the renewing of the mind. It's learning to think a different way. It's learning to see through different glasses, so to speak. You know, when I was on vacation, I, I went to a place where they had like sunglasses and all different kinds of shaded lenses, and I ride my bike. And I know here, when the summer comes... You go outside at sunset and you know are in the dark and you have a light and it attracts bugs. Anybody ever notice that? And whatever's out at that time, it attracts them. And so when I was on vacation, it hadn't quite been the bug time here. Well, I was out riding my bike there, and man, at sunset, just I mean, flocks. I don't know if you call mosquitoes flocks. I mean what. It was just like getting pelted. And so I went and got some sunglasses that you can pop the lenses out, and they have a rose-colored one, so that if you're in a shaded area, it brings out a certain color, and then they had clear. And whatever one you put on, that's how everything is shaded. And God wants your life shaded a certain way. Everybody in the world gets shaded by certain things, TV, you know, radio, music, and we just start to think and influence the people. God wants you to change your shades so that you as a believer see different ways. You know what I mean? So that when, you know, you walk up to somebody and you're like, that's the most beautiful purple lipstick there. That's not purple lipstick. Oh, oh, that's how I see it. And I understand that when you see something a certain way, it changes how you approach things. If I see certain things a certain way, just how I approach God, how I walk before God, how I live life is totally going to be affected. We can all be believers, but how we see ourselves is going to affect how we live. And how we see ourselves is based on how we think. Here's the thing. It's amazing to me that over the years, like people say, you know, when the last apostles died, all the miracles stopped, power of God stopped, all these things changed. What they did was they took something that sounded religious and said, put this on. You you ever watch cartoons when I was little, Bugs Bunny and different things like that? You know, I remember one where one guy fell asleep so he painted the lenses black with little dots, so, and put them on, so he, and then woke him up, and he's like, whoa, and he had just gone to sleep, you know, now, you know, and, or was, you know, it looked like dark, and then looked like light, and he just wore the guy out, because he was just seeing things totally wrong, and you can get really worn out by seeing things wrong, and they can just be put on you, and it looks religious, and what, what, what it is, it's not, it's, when I say put it on you, it's how you see it. It's really how you begin to think about it, how you look at it as a believer. And so people can look through different colors like, well, that stopped, or God, you know, we're trying to get God. And we need to recognize, as believers, we all come with certain ways of thinking. And even in our pursuit, we need to be careful about how we think. Because we can add things to our life that may seem good at one point, but when it's challenged by the Word of God, it's not exactly what it should be. So Hebrews 10, notice this in verse 1. It says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come. What's a shadow? It's not the exact image. In other words, you can learn something from a shadow, but you can't get the true picture. So he said the law had a shadow of good things to come. What is the law? The law is what you know, was written in the Old Testament. The law was not the ultimate for God and what God wanted. As a matter of fact, it showed man that he was guilty and he needed help. And it's interesting, the law has its place, but you can't mix the law in with your Christianity in the wrong ways. What do I mean by that? There are certain things that are good in the law. Paul quoted the law, said there are promises in them. He quoted in the New Testament, but there are certain things that if you try to squeeze the law into your Christianity in its full measure, it'll really jack you up and we're going to look at that. Everybody with me? It really it really can it can really mess us up and make us, you know, kind of like a hamster, you know, or something like that on one of those wheels, you know, we can really put in a lot of effort without a lot of progress. And this will kind of help you get your feet on the ground. And so he said it had a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things. You know, he said, and not the very image of the things. Notice, for the law, I'm sorry, let me read this again. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things. So it showed something, but it wasn't, just wasn't it. It had a shadow of some good, but it wasn't just it. It it, it just wasn't it. Just remember that. It just wasn't it. And this is going to help you when you go forward here. It it, it just wasn't it. It didn't have the full substance. It didn't have the full, full thing. He said, notice, he said that, he said, of the very image of things, can never with these sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. What is he saying? In the Old Testament, there were sacrifices that were given that would cover sin year to year. And they would do these things and, and, and it would help people feel better, but it never paid the full impact. And it never did what it was supposed to or God ultimately wanted done. In other words, what it did was it would cover sin, but not and so people could walk in God's good stuff to a degree, but there was something there that just made the people not feel quite worthy enough. It left sin there. It didn't really do away with it. It just covered it. Notice, it couldn't make those who approach perfect. Verse 2 For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. What he's saying is, they kept offering these sacrifices, but it could never deal with the problem in the heart of humanity. And it made these people conscious of not measuring up, not being able to go forward. In other words, these things had a shadow, but they just didn't have the power. And so he goes on and said they, were, they had a consciousness of sin. You could say it this way, they still thought about their inferiority, They still thought they don't measure up quite good enough. They still thought because they realized next year we got to do this again. Because it just didn't do it. And so they had this mindset of I don't measure up. They had this mindset, I'm just not quite good enough to stand before God. We got to offer more sacrifice and more sacrifice. And next year, we got to do this again because I just don't measure up. So, what it did was it made them have a certain mentality and a certain way that they thought all the time. They constantly thought in the back of their mind I've got to get a perfect sacrifice for next time I go. I, I got to do it and then when I get done doing that I still just haven't measured up. It covered it but it didn't deal with something that's still there. So I got to got to offer more, got to do more. That he said was the consciousness of the people. Notice he said once purified would have had no more consciousness, but they kept doing it. So they were constantly conscious they were inferior people. Though God chose them, though God had a covenant for them, a blessing in every area, they still, with this type of sacrifice, they just were conscious. It just was there. It was kind of like, you know, sometimes you get a rock in your shoe and... You know, you just don't get it pushed out of the way. You ever done that? Got a rock and thought, I'm not taking my shoe off. And you're like, Let me just kick your foot a little bit. And you just can't move it. Anybody ever had that? And you just think, well, I can walk on this. And you're just always conscious about that. These people were conscious of the fact they were inferior. They were conscious of the fact they there was some guilt there. They were conscious of... Just it doesn't matter how much, just ever so slightly, they just didn't measure up to God's way because those sacrifices couldn't remove it. So, what it did was it made them conscious of their inferiority before God, though He made a way for them and to cover it. Covering something and removing something is different. You know, you ever thought, oh, man, somebody's coming, I kicked that under the couch. It's covered, but it's not gone. You're like, i got to deal with that later. It's there. Now, I've never done that, but I'm sure you guys have. It's there. I'll deal with that a little bit later. But it's there. That's how this was. And what it did was it made them conscious. It made them aware. And that's really what I want to talk about today. What are we conscious of? What are we aware of? And it will affect our whole Christian life. Notice this. He said, but in those sacrifices, verse 3, there is a reminder. Notice, conscious, a conscious reminder. They're conscious or aware of, and they remember. There is a reminder of their sins every year. So they get done dealing with it, but there's a reminder. It's still there. There's an ever-conscious presence that I just kind of don't measure up. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament it says that this law was a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. What did this schoolmaster teach us? I'm not fixed. I'm inferiority. I have an inferiority complex. There's a constant thought of I don't measure up to God. Constant. On my own skills, my own abilities. And these are people who lived a life trying to measure up, and they found they couldn't, and then there was a sacrifice made. And so they had, really, you could say this, the children of Israel had an inferiority complex. They had a guilt complex. They had a, well, God fixes it by putting this blood on it, but it ultimately doesn't remove it, but it's enough to keep us in God's blessing. That's really what this did. It helped them to stay in the blessing of God, which was financial blessing, which was a physical blessing for their bodies, which was a good standing with them, or, you know, with them and him, but there was still just something there. They were conscious and they remembered something else. Those are two phrases we need to be aware of. Remember, conscious. Now notice verse 4. For it is impossible or not possible, and you know what's interesting in the Bible? You don't find that all over the place. You know, most things we know, with God, all things are possible. But here it says, it was not possible. Well, if whatever it was was not possible, then could we, by our own efforts, make it possible? No. If it's impossible for you to lift 10,000 pounds with one arm... Should you try? If it's impossible, no way. But here's the thing. It was impossible, what he's about to say. It was not possible. Notice what was not possible. That the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. That's why it was remembered all the time. That's why they were conscious of sin. They had a nature that was not changed. They were reminded of it, and they just thought sin. They thought, we don't measure up. Notice the next verse. Therefore, when he came into the world, it talks about how he said, sacrifice an offering you didn't desire, but a body you had prepared. If you notice here, what happens is there's a reminder. With his blood as you read on... He removes it once for all, notice verse 10. But verse 10, by the will, by that will we have been sanctified or set apart through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all he did this. Notice verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their heart and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission, which literally means removal, of these there is no longer an offering for sin. Those constant Offerings reminded them it wasn't dealt with. When he died, one time it dealt with it. It removed sin, it removed guilt, it removed that inferiority. You know, the way Christians need to think is like this What was against me is gone. What was against me is gone what made me inferior is gone. We need to change our glasses and realize what held me back is gone. What made me seem guilty is removed. I need to see that by my own works? No, we already see that by works, these people couldn't do it. And by sacrifices, they couldn't do it. There was a reminder and a consciousness Jesus offered his body, the Bible said, once for all, signifying that it dealt with the problem. Your guilt is not your guilt. Your guilt, if you're saved, is more of a lie than anything. It's more of a mindset. You with me? It's more of carried over from the Old Testament, and though your sins are washed away, read the New Testament, there's remission rule. It's already been paid for when you receive Jesus, you've received, the Bible said, the remission, the removal. You have a new nature, you're not inferior anymore before God, you're not guilty before God, but here's the thing. If I think all day long like I'm inferior, don't think that you're just going to rise up and blast things with your faith. You need to realize you've been washed by the blood of Jesus when you received Christ. You are not guilty. Well, if I feel guilty all throughout the day and I just think of my inferiority and how I just don't measure up and how I'm just not quite good enough on my own, I just quite haven't done enough and I'm just not good enough, then I am not really getting my mind on what Jesus did. I am conscious of failure. I am conscious of my own inabilities I need to become conscious by thinking purposefully that he set me in good standing with God. That is the gospel. Gospel means good news. We need to think about Jesus and think about what he did. Here's the thing. If we try to persuade God to forgive us, Do we really believe he already did something about it or are we trying to get him to do something? And that will carry over into every area of your life. If you're trying to get him to do something, maybe you don't believe he did something. See, they kept giving and making sacrifices and all this labor because they were trying to fix a problem. But once the problem was solved, Jesus didn't have to die anymore. Look at verse 14. And every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeating, repeatedly the same sacrifices. Remember, it makes them remember, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God. For that time waiting till his enemies were made his footstool. Notice verse 14. For by one offering. Remember, there were bunches. And what did they do? They reminded people that they were inferior, or they were inferior and they just didn't measure up. It helped them enough to make it, but they still didn't have the cure. What is the cure? Receiving Jesus, the one payment. But it's not just receiving the cure. Do you think in line with the cure? What is the cure you received? I'm clean. Well, yeah, but you did this. Right, but what he did paid for it. And if you've received him, you need to think, I'm clean. People who are conscious of sin struggle more with sin. Because whatever you become conscious of, you get stronger in. That's the truth. Works positive and negative. And you know what's so sad is, is we are trained negative, so as soon as you have a problem, the first thing people do is they go online. Search it out. And what do they do? They start focusing on it. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to condemn or accuse, but I am saying our mind, we're trained that way. And instead of going, he's already done something, we're trying to find out what it is and we become more conscious of it. What was the cure for the children of Israel when they were bitten by deadly serpents? It wasn't to go online and find out what the symptoms were. They said, build a cross or a brazen serpent, put that serpent on it, and whoever focuses in on it will get their answer. They'll get healed. But what's happened is we have really focused many times on the wrong thing. Instead of seeing that he has done something about it, we're trying to get him to do something about it. And that really is not altogether the gospel. The gospel is God has already done something. As a matter of fact, what did God do after he day one saw the earth and was certain way? And day two, he did spoke into this. And day three, he did this. And day four, he did this. And day five, he did this. And day six, he did this. And on day seven, what did God do? He sat down, and He rested. He was done. Jesus lived on the earth for 33 years, and He lived a certain life, lived it sin-free, lived a victorious life. Then He suffered on the cross. He was whipped and beaten. He went into the bowels of the earth, stripped the devil of His power. Now where is He? Seated. He's resting. Why? Why? Because the creation at the beginning when the work was done, and then it was functioning until it got tweaked by man. So he came back to fix things that got tweaked. But once he got it finished, he sat down. Why? Because his work is done. But if we think like it's not done, we'll try to get him to do something, but he's already resting. Why is he resting? Why do you rest? Do you ever tell people, let's just finish this, then we can rest? Just come on. I am not, and, and it's okay whatever personality way you are. Some of it needs to be tweaked. And, but I'm the type of person like, let's just get this done. I, we have a lot of people in the church, some of them aren't even here today, that are just, we have good people who want to serve God and help in the church. And uh, I bought some sod because our grass has got tweaked and weeds got in there. So I got some that St. Augustine, they'll grow and get vines and take the whole thing over. So I got like 10 pieces, you know, they're like several feet long. And so I skimmed them out. So I was back there, it's like 10, you know, it gets hot at 10, 11, and I'm digging it out, you know, digging down to put this sod into the grass so it looks normal, but so it can grow out. And it just kept getting hotter and hotter. And my head kept, I was like, man, it's getting hotter, hotter, maybe. And I, I had already drinking like three or four bottles of water and I was, was going on like number five, I'm like, well, maybe I'll come back tonight. I'm like, no, I- I'm going to get this done. And when I'm done, and then I had, and I'm counting. I got three left, two, and I'm working, and it's getting hotter, and I'm drinking more water, and I'm sweating. I haven't eaten anything. And I'm like, I'm going to get this done. But I, here's the thing. I want, once the work was done, then I'm resting. He has been resting ever since. He hasn't jumped up and gone, oh, no. But our mentality is trying to get him to do something instead of seeing and thinking like he has done something. And what we the way we predominantly think is what we get strong in. So if we're trying to get him to do something, work in our family's life and get him to do something, we don't believe he has done something. We need to see like his power's in us when we're believers. We need to see what his word says that he's already done in what he's paid for. And so right here in verse 14, it says, For by one offering, remember the multiple ones? One offering, he's perfected forever. Do you think perfected or do you think imperfected about yourself? And why do you think imperfected and why do you think perfected? Do you think perfected because I'm doing everything just perfect, or do you think imperfected because I'm not just doing everything perfect, or do you think perfected by him, he did something, he made me a certain way, he cleansed me, he washed me by his blood, it was him who made me worthy. Do you think that way? And if you begin to think that way, you'll get strong in it. And what will happen is you will not feel inferior. Now, when we talk about inferior, we're talking about an inferiority complex, a reminder, a sin consciousness that he has already dissolved. And if he's done away with it, why do we entertain it? Because if the enemy or whatever can get you to entertain it, it'll make you feel like just a little guy on the block and you just don't got the goods. The apostles do but that's all passed away. No, it's the same thing. But what's happened is people have drank the Kool-Aid. And so what we need to do is think, he has perfected me once for all. But what happens is instead of looking at what he did, we look at what we've been doing. We look at how we've been feeling. We look at how we maybe we've messed up. Instead of becoming conscious of what he did. And so notice verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified or set apart. How, how, how big is this work that he did in you? You should start thinking I'm not guilty if you've received Christ. You, why? By you? No, but by, by him. If I become mindful of something, I get strong in it. I, positive or negative, and He wants us to be mindful of the right. Are we mindful of what? But see, if we're not strong in what He did, we'll try and get Him to do something instead of being mindful that He has done something. You with me? He has done something. If I am guilty feeling and all this, I'm going to probably deal with depression. I'm going to deal with all kinds of stuff. But if I start thinking like he's done something as a believer and I've received it, my confidence before him is radically going to change. Radically change. You with me? I mean big time. If he remembers our sins no more, what business do we have remembering our sins? Yeah, but you—I just—it was an hour ago. No, become conscious that he paid for it. Learn to get your mind, because if you think negative all day long, and then decide, well, I'm going to pray, you're, it's going to be tougher. But if I'm thinking, okay, he's done something about this, 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 and this by the Word, then my praying is going to be revolutionized. Because I'm not going to be trying to get him to do something waiting for him to do something. I'm going to be knowing he already did something about this, and here we go. You with me? Turn to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, a familiar verse of Scripture probably heard it before. I know Pastor Linda shared on this. I don't know. I didn't hear the message, but I know from what she told me. But Matthew 6.33, this is what we need to do. Work to get your mind on what he's done. Don't just try to get him to do something. Know he's already done something for you and begin to think this way throughout the day. Matthew 6.33, He's really giving the solution because what you think on, you become strong in. Learn to change your thinking real quick when bad thoughts come. Learn to make this a Christian practice. Okay, my thoughts have gone there, I'm putting them back over here. Learn to make that the practice of your life. When guilt comes, because some people have just felt inferior for years, they have no compulsion so to speak they do inwardly to pray but they really don't it's inwardly there but whenever they go yeah and hear a message that says we need to pray they go yeah and they go to pray and they go "Uh," because they feel so guilty I don't want to go spend time with him I feel guilty in front of them you ever been around people who are your friend and then something happened they feel guilty around you so they don't want to be around you And people are a friend of God, and God's for them, and He did the work. And then they feel guilty instead of thinking, and then they become conscious, not of the work of Christ, but their own work. And you need to begin to think, He did it for me, and He made me clean. I have a right. And what will happen is then when you go to pray, you won't go, Oh, I'm junky. And then you go, wow, praying is actually cool. I mean, have you ever done something wrong when you were little and you didn't want to talk to your parents? You're like, oh, great. And then when you do talk to them, you're like, hey, what did you do today? And you just keep going, and you're just rambling because you don't want them to say anything to you because they might bring up the thing that you don't want them to bring up. And so it's not just a loose relationship. It's like all marred. Because I'm concerned they're gonna deal. I I got I talked to my parents today. I prayed today. Because if I slow down, maybe he'll say, You're guilty. But he won't in that aspect. Now, he may tell you to change something or do something, but in one sense, things are paid for, and some stuff people have been living fine and doing whatever, and they're just so guilty because they remember the wrong thing. Instead of realizing he did something and it affects them, so notice this, Jesus said this, remember what you entertain and what you focus on, you become conscious of. What you become conscious of, you get strong in. Don't. Here's the thing, you can take that positive or you could take that negative, but we're talking about it from a positive sense. This is actually what Jesus taught here about the strivings of the world and how the world just keeps striving and striving and how they worry And their minds are just jacked up with this thinking because worry just means to put your mind on it. And it's something wrong. And so he was teaching us not to worry and get our minds over on the wrong thing. And he told us actually how to get the answer. And it's super simple. But what we're trying to do sometimes is trying to get it Instead of seeing ourselves with it, he said, All the world is pursuing after all this stuff. And he said, God knows you need it. He knows it. He knows what you gotta have. He said, But don't make that your pursuit. Notice verse 33, Matthew, but seek first. Literally, seek means to be occupied. occupied. What occupies your mind? Jesus conquered it. Jesus already beat this. Jesus already washed me. Jesus already paid for this. Isn't that what we tell lost people? And you need to be occupied with God loves me. Jesus did something for me. Jesus hears me. Jesus backs me up. Why? Because those are all scriptural things. You need to become conscious of that. He's for me, not against me. And so when he said seek first the kingdom, he means to be occupied with. The Greek literally means to seek in order to find by thinking, meditating, reasoning, in other words, be occupied in your thoughts. With what? Well, he said, not with everything else that the whole rest of the world is occupied with. And what are they occupied with? Trying to get stuff. Trying to get prosperity in their life. That's a bad state when you're trying to get prosperous. Somebody said, well, isn't prosperity part of the gospel? It really is. But, are, but is, is and so is healing. But just working, trying to get it, you're you're trying to get something that he's already given. You're approaching it wrong. And you're laboring, trying to think I'm good enough if I do this enough, instead of seeing yourself a certain way. Become occupied in your thoughts. With what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his good standing. And all these things will then be added to you. Therefore, or because of this, do not be worried or have a divided mind about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, you're going to deal with things today. Don't get all fascinated in your thoughts about tomorrow But seek first or make the entertainment of your mind about what Jesus has done, what he has bought. It's already yours. It's already mine. It's already paid for. He's seated. Turn to Luke 10, and we're going to close, I believe, with this verse, this set of verses. I shared a little bit about this in prayer and a little bit in the young adults, but I'm going to pick this up again here in Luke 10. And it's an interesting verse of Scripture Because what had happened was authority and power had been given to the disciples and the disciples started getting results. They started getting results. You want results? I want results. You want to live in his best? He wants you to live in his best. But there is a key here that you have to see or it could really mess you up. And here's the thing. His design, what He died for, was for you to have a good, full life in every way. But you've got to see yourself with it that He already did it. And notice this in Luke 10. It's really interesting. Uh, we'll start in verse 17. Now the 70, 12 people had been given this authority and power. The 70 had. Now the 70 are coming back in verse 17 to Jesus. They had been sent out to do this ministry endeavor. Authority and power had been given to them to heal the sick and and actually to prosper and to have provision come. And so this provision, this payment for provision, this payment for, for uh Authority over sickness and demons and all this came. He said, verse 17, then the 70 returned with joy. Now, everybody do a timeout. You know, that is a timeout. we call play here real quick. Now, if they come back with great joy, that's got to be great, right? Woohoo. Come back with great joy. Woohoo. If you come back to Jesus, Jesus, we've been doing your work and we come back. Woohoo. Jesus called a timeout. Said, timeout. Everybody get over here. We need to talk to you. Now, if you're getting results, isn't that good for rejoicing? Yeah, it could be, but maybe not. It's good to change our thinking if it needs to be. Did he not want them to have results? No, he absolutely wanted them to have results. But notice, they came back with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons. Now, who came back saying this? One person? All 70. Somehow, they were experimenting with the power of God. Not only were getting people healed by using the name of Jesus, not only getting their needs met, you know, as they serve God, but all of a sudden, they had come up against evil forces, they're using the name of Jesus, and they're like, woohoo hoo hoo And they came back with joy, and they explained their joy. Not only are people getting healed, not only are our needs getting met, because if you read, those are the things that were covered. He said, they're subject to us in your name. That's why they were excited. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What did he say? They are totally rejoicing. So Jesus, Jesus, notice what Jesus didn't do. And the Bible tells us: rejoice with those who rejoice. They came back and they're telling him, and he didn't go. Woohoo! Oh man, I'm telling you. Now listen. This is exciting. Let's just uh, hoop and shout and dance around. You can run if you want to, Peter. I know you got the shout coming on now. Go ahead and run around the church, Peter. <laughs> All right, go ahead and the rest of you. If anybody want to follow him, this is exciting. He started teaching. They just they're giving testimony and joy and he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall any means hurt you. Now we should be conscious of the fact we have this authority and nothing shall harm us. Many of us are conscious of the fact that things will harm us. We read it, but we think different about it. We should think throughout the day, nothing will harm me. You can't harm me. But then as soon as somebody says something, we may gravitate back in our thinking. That's why we renew our minds, because we need to see it a different way. We want to be conscious, because what we become conscious of, we become strong in. And we can become strong in the fact that nothing shall harm me. But notice this. Jesus said, nevertheless, stop your praising. You're rejoicing. He did. He did. They came back with joy, and he said, don't do that. Wait a minute. You teach on praise. I do. But Jesus didn't rejoice with them, and he, he taught. He said, yes. He didn't diminish the fact of authority and dominion. He said, Yes, you have authority. Yes, you have dominion. And matter of fact, nothing will harm you, but don't rejoice in that. Don't have a praise time around that. Not that you can't be excited or whatever, but he said, Nevertheless, verse 20, do not rejoice in this. These are not David's words. These are Jesus' words. Don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. But they are. But don't rejoice in that. What you become conscious of, you get stronger in. So you should think that way. But there, is there even a higher way to think? Should we just be that fascinated with the devil? I, I, years ago, there was a, some demon teachings of and I, I, I say deal with the devil. But there are some stuff that's wrong. You can get so conscious about him that you get strong in thinking the devil's everywhere and the devil's stopping this and the devil's hindering this and the devil's here and there's a devil there and there's a devil there and there's a devil there and there might be. One minister said, are you one of those preachers that believes there's a devil behind every bush? He said, no. He said, I believe there's five behind every bush. But that doesn't matter. You don't need to be conscious of them because then that's where your focus is going to be and you're going to get strong in that. Why not be focused on how big God is in you now and realize it's not your superior strength that can drive off a devil anyway, so why get So caught up in that thinking, instead of thinking, his great power is in me now. He said, don't rejoice in this. In other words, don't fix your attention on this. How many people focus on the problem or certain things rather than the solution? Not us, right? He said that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are in heaven. What was he trying to do? Get them conscious of something else. Get them mindful of something good. Get them mindful. And he didn't diminish the fact. As a matter of fact, he even straightened out their thinking and he reinforced the fact that they do have power, that they do have authority, that they do have dominion. And you should think like that. And and that that nothing shall by any means hurt me. But doesn't the world teach you that things will hurt you? I'm going to be shaking everybody's hands when we leave. Do you have that uh, gel, that hand sanitizer? Oh, germs might jump off somebody's hands and get on my hand and run up my arm. (laughs) And then when I go to shake your hand, he runs down and jumps on yours. See how the world teaches people? Jesus said, nothing shall by any means hurt you. I, I remember years ago, I'd never seen this. I went into a bathroom. You know, guys normally don't go to the bathroom together. It's, it's a solo act. <laughs> but I remember going into this bathroom, and a guy I knew there was there, and he was leaving, I was leaving, and he reached up, and, you know, those little things on, on some of these doors, you know, that metal arm, and he pushed on it. I didn't know you could do that, and the door opened. But I said, Whoa. I thought, why'd you do that? Well, you know, germs. I didn't even know. I didn't even know. I mean, when I was a kid, you played in the sandbox at school, and you found prizes. <laughs> like, what is this? Huh, a neighborhood cat place here, too. <laughs> All right, well, keep playing. Then you went and ran into the cafeteria, and you ate lunch. Didn't think anything of it. Licked your fingers and went, that was good. Is that the truth? Now everybody's conscious of things will hurt you. Things are going to hurt you. Everything's going to hurt you. Did you wipe the seat before you sat down? See, but people are becoming conscious of the wrong thing. I'm not talking people here, right? But the world's teaching that. Because the medical industry is big bucks. And what's happening is, instead of being mindful of nothing shall by any means hurt you, we have become mindful of stuff will hurt us. Stuff's going to hurt us. Stuff's got power over me. Stuff's got power over you poverty does lack does guilt does and all that stuff Jesus paid for all that stuff he paid for so i need to be kind of mindful of something good